You have questions? We have answers. We're two Southern moms on the backside of raising kids. And we have some things to say. We've lived life, made mistakes, and learned some lessons. Join us for answers to the questions you, you just, just want to ask your mom. mom. Welcome to another Just Ask Your Mom podcast. I'm Bonnie Blaylock. And I'm Renee Sproles. Well, as we enter another school year, a lot of us have kids starting or close to finishing high school. And if this is your first time ushering a child into high school, you and your child might be a little breathless about all the information the school admins are going to give you right off the bat. Yep. Your child has to figure out a class schedule, make sure she gets all the requirements to graduate, maybe pick a track for electives like STEM or music theater, not to mention the push for involvement in clubs, sports, extracurriculars to pad that school resume, all in the name into what, Bonnie? Getting into college. College. Right. (laughs) Well, if you're like a lot of us, you probably have other children in other grades simultaneously, and you're having to navigate them through the school supplies and all the stuff that comes with a new grade too. And I don't know about you, Renee, but right around this time, I was starting to feel this looming feeling that time is running out. We only have so many days left with our teenagers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, and I felt like I didn't even get started soon enough. Yeah. I, I felt like I was under the gun, especially with that first kid. I'm like, sorry. I know. I What did I miss telling you? <laughs> I missed it. Yes. And if they're a junior or senior, well, those days shrink rapidly. So on the one hand, it's super exciting to go and tour all those colleges if that's in your child's future. Mm-hmm. Think about launching. But on the other hand, especially for parents, there's a lot of big dollar signs that are coming up with that next stage. Yeah. And if you haven't thought about it earlier, like starting a college account when your kid is born, or maybe you couldn't start a college account yeah. when your kid was born and you were raising him, you're sure thinking about that college account now and maybe panicking <laughs> when you see the price tags of college. Yes. So we want to try to take that stress down a notch, or at least give you some place to start when it comes to trying to pay for college and joining us. We're so happy to have today as our guest, Brad Baldridge. He is a college funding specialist and college planning expert. Thanks for joining us today, Brad. Thanks for having me. So you're a blogger and host of the podcast, Taming the High Cost of College. You've been sharing college planning insights with people for what, over 20 years? Is that right? Yep, fourteen twenty. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get into this? Yeah. So, I've been a financial advisor for even longer than that. You know, it dates me, of course, but um, <laughs> and got involved in college planning as I was working with families and realize and realizing that college was becoming a bigger challenge. Right. It used to be you could you know get a good summer job, parents throw in a couple thousand, and college was solved. Well, yeah. it just doesn't work that way anymore. No. And there, you know, so through the, you know, thousands and 2010 and so forth, that's when the tr- transition happened where college was going up very quickly and it was getting tougher and tougher to figure it out. And so it became a bigger issue. And I realized that there was a lot of strategies that could be done, but most families, you know, didn't put them together and do them very well. Um, mm-hmm. So I kind of launched a specialty where um, I started talking more about need-based aid and merit aid and all the different things around college because, you know, there's probably 50 or 100 strategies out there that would help pay for college. The challenge is only five or 10 are right for any particular family. Mm. And, you know, so when you say something like, well, my brother-in-law did this and it worked for him. And it's like, yes, that may be true. 
but it's not going to work for you because your student isn't the rock star like his student was, or, you know, his income was low and your income is high. So it, the rules are different for you or whatever it might be. Um, so that, I think that's, you know, again, where I really dove into it and realized that there's a huge need out there for this information. Right. And you've got kids of your own. You've done this personally. So you have some skin in the game. I do. Yes. I uh, Right. Exactly. So I finally have gotten my kids old enough to send them off to college. So I've got a, a rising freshman and a rising sophomore in college and then one more in high school still. So I've been through the ringer a little bit myself and, re, you know, done the visits and all that type of thing. And, um, you know, and it is as always, right. It's easier to talk about other families when you're an advisor or whatever it might be. And when your own family, it's, it's more challenging, of course, because although I'm the expert, my son does not see me as an expert in anything. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> I know. We don't know what that's like at all, do we? Not at all. Okay. Well, well, let's just start with the basics because um, when we were prepping for this interview, you said something that I thought was interesting. You said um, in planning, there's like an early planner and a late planner or an early start and a late start. Walk us right. through that, would you? Right. So there's what I call early stage planning and late stage planning where, and it's easier to talk about late stage planning because that's kind of when you're there and you have to figure it all out. So somewhere in the high school years, you're going to have to start visiting colleges and writing essays and college applications and financial aid applications and loans and all the different financial aid scholarships, all the different stuff that you potentially could do or should do, might do, whatever it might be. So there's a lot more work. And early stage is, well, college is coming someday. You know, maybe you've got a two-year-old, a four-year-old, you know, middle school, whatever it might be. And you're saying, well, I, we want to pay for college, perhaps. So we're going to do some saving and investing, or ideally you buy a smaller house than what you maximum, you know, you don't maximize every other expense because college is going to be a big chunk of it for some families. And wow, so like that's the biggest downfall. Choices. Yeah. You're talking yeah. about big lifestyle choices there. Yes, exactly. Well, and again, it could be the big ones, could be the little ones, but all day long, I meet parents of 16, 17, 18 year olds, and I don't care what their income is, but they're saying, well, we've learned how to spend all the money we make. How can we possibly pull X out of our budget to pay for college? And that X could be $1,000 or $2,000 or $3,000, depending on what they feel like they want to spend or 500 or 200, whatever it is, right? But mm -hmm. if you learn to spend every penny before you learn how to save it, it's, it's a, uh, you know, it hurts a lot more than if you were regularly saving for college or regularly just putting money away. It doesn't have to necessarily be for college. And in order to do that, that means you spend less elsewhere. Right. That's just the basics, right? right. I, we had this little bank that we used with our kids. Uh, Y'all yep. might've used it too. The saving, giving, spending mm -hmm. categories. I mean, it applies to all of us, right? That's why our kids, that's why we would teach our kids that as well. That's right. But right. Something like 56% of Americans, I guess, are unable to cover an unexpected bill of $1,000. So right. yeah, then you come up to college, like you said, and oh, by the way, tuition at this private institution mm -hmm. is $60,000 a year. Who, who can do that? Right. right. You can do it, Brad. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you can, right. And, that, and that's the other important thing to realize is 
college, like buying an automobile can come in at many different prices. And, you know, if you can't afford the Mercedes or the BMW, stay off the Mercedes and BMW lots. Oh, um, ouch. There's a truth bomb right there. But that's my kid's <laughs> dream. He wants to go to the Ivy League. He wants to go to MIT. And if I'm not letting him do that, if I'm not mortgaging my house two and three times for him, I'm a terrible parent, right? Right. Well, again, well, on the flip side of that, though, is because of the way the college works with the various aid programs, your net cost at a particular school could be substantially less. So it's like going to the Mercedes dealer and there's a sticker in the window saying this car is $100,000. And then the salesman says, well, you know, we can help you with that. We might we might give you, you know, 50% off or 75% off, um, depending on how your application turns out. And, uh, you know, so that's the, the concept of aid. You know, you don't know you're going to get it. You don't know that you you won't. And that's where I help families a lot is I believe we should be able to come up with at least a reasonable estimate of what college will cost long before we apply so that we know what we're getting into. Because the reality is, you know, the the most expensive schools, the Harvards and Yales, especially, you know, those types of schools are very generous for people that need the money. Yeah, and they're completely not generous for people that don't. They don't offer any sort of merit aid, right? So you, you know, my kids, you know, got a bunch of scholarships elsewhere, but at Harvard they didn't get any. It seems so unfair. It's like, well, Harvard was never going to give anybody scholarships based on academics. Mm. That you know that we knew that going on up front. They that's not what they do, because in their opinion, everybody that's applying and getting accepted at, at Harvard is a really strong student, and they don't want to try and pick from among them. Instead, they do everything based on need. So if your family needs help, you're going to get it. And they're going to be more generous than most other schools as far as. So I've seen Harvard come in as a very low cost option. That's really great information. Yeah, that's interesting that you don't expect. Yeah. (laughs) But okay, that's that's like a Harvard. That's for really great student. Just let's talk about just the average student. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So like your average student um, and you make you know, and a, a median income. So you're not going to get a lot of help at, let's say, a Harvard. Then what? Right. Well, right. Exactly. So you can start, there's two steps to the college planning process. One is get the lowest after benefits cost, right? So get the lowest cost. So you start with your top line, which is the price they publish, cost of attendance. And then maybe you get some scholarships or grants or whatever it is all that free money that we've been talking about mm-hmm. brings you to your net price. So you want to get the lowest net price possible. So a local state school might average, say, across the country, about 25000 total cost for one year. That's average. Some states like Illinois and New Jersey are you know, more closer to 30. And other states are you know, in the 20, lower 20s. Mm-hmm. But let's say it's 25. Well, that's a relatively low cost to begin with. So even if you didn't get any aid at all, 25,000 is a reasonable price for college, unfortunately. I know some people are saying, what do you mean reasonable? Well, (laughs) compared to the other options, right? Because the private school's average price now is 55 or so. Yeah. So if you, but a lot of those schools will offer you scholarships, but let's say they give you 20,000 off. So your 55 becomes 35. So now you're saying state school 25, private school 35 from there it's how do i pay for it efficiently mm. you know okay. should we use loans should we save and invest should we you know is it 
the student going to work? Are the parents going to work? All the different pieces to pay that bill as efficient as possible. So having been through this process myself, and I would consider us, just to be flat out honest, I don't know, middle to upper average income of America, um, and doing the FAFSA, financial student aid form, um, it, it, when the printout comes back after you put all your tax information in and all that stuff, it kind of laughed in our face <laughs> and said, <laughs> yeah, silly person, silly parent, you thought you were going to get something, you know, some help from the government. And I hear that a lot from people. Um, it's kind of a running meme, a joke about the FAFSA. Like you're not getting anything. Don't think you're getting anything. So right. really, how many people get anything from yeah. that? You can do what our kids did and just get married in college and it drops them right down to the very bottom income bracket and then they get everything. Well, there you go. I thought everyone would recommend that. I don't know if that's a strategy for planning for college right. necessarily. It's like burying somebody for their green card. That's right. I don't know if it's the best. Right, exactly. So yes, and that that is true. There are ways to, for families, for students to be what's called independent. So if they are married, have dependents of their own, are separated from active military service, part of a federally funded runaway program, you know, adopted in certain situations, by all means, take advantage of it because then you don't do not need to list your parent. But it's not a good planning strategy. Yeah, most, right. parents are gonna, most parents are going to say, you know, why don't you go get married or join the military right. just for the college benefits? Right. You know, yeah. It might oh. be a good path. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I guess getting into the you know the overall price and FAFSA. So a typical family say earning about a hundred thousand, your EFC is going to come in at about twenty-five thousand. And an EFC is what's called your expected family contribution. And they're actually going to rename that because people say, oh, that means that's what I'm going to pay for college. And it's not what you're going to pay for college necessarily. It's just a part of the process, part of the calculation. So you take the cost of the college you're considering, and let's so let's say again that local state school, twenty-five thousand minus an EFC of twenty-five thousand equals zero. So your need is zero. So that's where a lot of people get frustrated. What they don't realize is if they were to apply to the private school at sixty thousand minus twenty-five thousand, now you need thirty-five thousand. Mm. So now you're going to qualify for large amounts of need-based aid. Now the next challenge, of course, is does the college actually have it to give it to you? Now, many of the private schools will give you a big chunk of that, but maybe not all of it. Mm. And that's why you have to be careful and say, well, it isn't necessarily just because you need it doesn't mean you're going to get it. Um, but if you do, you know, great. And that's where, again, the Harvard and Yales and other top end schools that are well endowed and have lots of you know, donors and that type of thing can afford to meet your need 100%. And that's why they turn, turn out to be so generous. Whereas most schools are more tuition driven. In other words, they need to bring in X amount of tuition in order to pay the bills this year. And next year, they're going to have to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, and that's how most schools are. There's a, a great, some great books out there on that. Um, who gets in and why kind of explains some of the process there. That's a good one. Um, but again, it's one of those challenges that families are, are struggling with is they got a lot of misinformation or incomplete, right? It's well, it does work this way for this person, but it doesn't work this way for you because mm -hmm. you're not the same. Yeah. And I think that's the big challenge. So parents really do have to dig down into their own family, like you said, personal details. And probably it's going to be different each time for each kid. Because when you have one child in college and you're paying for that, then that diff that 
changes your financial ability um, for the next kid coming along. So um, don't, it's not one size fits all. And for sure, each individual family has to find out what applies to them and how many kids you have and all of that. Mm -hmm. Right. Exactly. And there's a great resource on my website where cost of colleges by income for each state. So there's a chart out there where you can, you know, in Illinois, all the state schools are on a little table. They're saying this is what they cost, but this is what they cost after free money at various incomes. So that if your income is relatively high, you're not going to get a lot of aid and the price is going to be very close to what what's published. But if you're earning say 30,000, now you may get quite a bit of aid. Mm-hmm. And the 25,000 average state school now might average more like eight. It's still a challenge because your your income is lower. So 8,000 still seems like a big number for that sure. family as well. Well, it is a big number. It's like my kids come to me and say, hey, the Apple Watch is only $300. Well, I'm like, you don't put the word only before anything, you know, above 20 bucks. So it's the same thing. It's only 8,000. Yeah. But yeah. So Renee, you had, your kids did really well in this Mm -hmm. area. And to be fair, your husband is a financial advisor too. Mm -hmm. So you guys Mm -hmm. are a little more savvy, I think, than the average bear, but they ended up coming out of college, not only debt-free, but making money. Making money. Mm -hmm. So how did that happen? So, and is that, I don't think that's um, prevalent. Yes. Okay. Listen, I am no expert and I'm sitting here going, I wish I knew you back then, Brad. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Like it would have been so much less stressful, but, um, what we found was that state schools, which are both our kids ended up going to a state school, that state schools allow you to stack merit-based scholarships um, to mm-hmm. beyond the cost of your tuition so that they, they just dump into your bank account whatever is left over. And so they had, you know, of course, like everybody else, the ACT scholarships, you know, wherever your number is, you get this many thousands of dollars. And um, because they didn't live on campus, you know, they didn't have to pay the dorm and the mm-hmm. food and all that. And so that's like half of it, right? right. So, so then now you've cut it in half. Now you're stacking up all these scholarships. And then when they did marry, it dropped them out of our income bracket. And like I said, they plummeted <laughs> to the lowest income bracket. And now they're, they qualify for uh, grants, government grants. Right. And so, yeah, they I actually, Houston graduated in three years and I was like, don't you want to stay in one more year? Like, just Make take it. some more classes. <laughs> like you're making money. And he's like, nope, I'm done. I'm out of here. And well, I'm glad. I'm glad of his drive. But yeah, but yeah there, and I, I only learned that from another friend who had children older than mine who had done the same thing. He, he was like, you ought to check out some, the state schools because uh, we were kind of just looking at private colleges and private colleges, we could get it close to zero, mm-hmm. but we couldn't, you couldn't earn money. And so, right. um, so that's what our kids did, but, but that's, I mean, I think that's unusual. Your kids got full scholarships, which is on, also based on, you on sure? merit. Yeah. You can't count on that. You either. can't count on that either. And so uh, let's walk, can you walk us back and let's talk about like, how do you save for college? Because I think it was, it was a good point to say, hey, consider your big expenses. You can clip all the coupons you want, but if you don't get the car and the house right, it's really hard to get your budget, you know, under control. So if you were talking to somebody who has like younger children, what would you recommend they do? Do they just not take those family vacations? Do they scale back Christmas? I mean, what are we talking here? 
Right. Well, and it's it's all a relative thing, right? So it's like my I call it my bigger garage theory, right? I don't care how big your garage is, it's always full. Because you don't think about throwing stuff away or moving stuff out until your garage is full. Otherwise, you just throw it in the corner and it sits there. Um, and then you say, well, I need a bigger garage. But most <laughs> people can get by with a smaller garage. And they do all the time. Right? So, and again, once we get off of the very stressful, very low incomes, right, where you're really living paycheck to paycheck. But once you're, you know, covering the very basics, you are making decisions of, is this more important than that? You know, right. what's the difference between a family earning 125 and a family earning 175, let's say, right? Not much from the outside, right? They have cars, they have a reasonable house, the kid, you know, they can do some of the things that they want to do. They can't do everything they want to do, right? So one, you know, the, if you earn a little more, yeah. instead of going to McDonald's and ordering everything you want, you go to Applebee's and order anything you want, <laughs> Right. And then I judge you. <laughs> exactly. I hate Applebee's with my whole heart. Right. Or right, right, a, right, right. The next level up, you go to the steakhouse every once in a while and order whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, we all go to restaurants. It's yeah. just a matter of you know. So that's the question. Is kind of the same thing with the house, right? Is if you, if the bank says or that you can afford this house that and you do the math and you say, well, that we're really going to be strapped. A lot of people will do it anyway, because they want the big house. Right. But then they, then you say, well, you should be putting away three or $400 a month for college. And they say, well, we don't have it. Look at this huge mortgage payment we have. And it's like, okay, well, that was your decision, right? I mean, all the time I will meet with families again of teenagers and they'll say, well, here's the two most important things, paying for education for our kids and retiring. And they will look at where their substantial income is going everywhere else, except paying for education and retirement. Mm -hmm. So they say it's important, but again, sometimes it's that tough call, right? And we've all been there, right? Well, these lessons are $400 a month, or this traveling sports team is going to cost us $4,000 or if we fly the whole family wherever we're going instead of driving, it's going to be an extra $3,000. And we make those decisions and right or wrong, right? Sure. But then when it circles back around, it's like, okay, well, so yet again, for many families too, if you just start saving and you learn to save it before you learn to spend it, it's not nearly as painful. So would you recommend they just have that auto draft, you know, when you get Mm -hmm. your paycheck deposited, a particular percentage just automatically goes into your savings account. That's, you never miss it. You just do it. Exactly. Right. And it doesn't necessarily have to go into for college. It could be going in for retirement or it could just be going into a general savings. Right. Where you say, well, this money isn't college. This money isn't anything in particular. It's could be a car, could be college, could be because I, you know, I, I get a little nervous about talking about college for a two-year-old because it was like, is a two-year-old going to go to college? Is exactly. College- right. So that's what I, that's that- what I've been thinking this whole time. So, okay. I, what if we, what if he doesn't? And, and more and more people are saying college isn't giving you the return on investment that it used to maybe. So what if he doesn't? And I've foregone a family vacation or, you know, whatever, all these things for the whole life when I'm making memories in this 18 short years. And then now we've got 
X amount of cash. I guess he could use it for a down payment on something, right. a house or whatever. It's not a right. waste to save. Well, right, exactly. And like I said, and, and many times when I'm working with younger families, our goal is to just save up enough money, you know, and get into the habit of saving, not necessarily for college or for anything. And then if they can always repurpose it. Okay, so I know my husband and I thought a lot about okay, how are we going to pay for college? But the only kind of involvement we had our children do was um, just talking about the costs and benefits of taking on debt versus paying for it all up front. How much of a role do you recommend the student having in this conversation? Yeah, I think there's some variability there. And I think that's what's missed in a lot of college planning is it really depends on the student. Um, I guess it's my first caveat, but in general, I think they need to be involved uh, to some extent, uh, again, because it's their life and um, they need to want it. I think where I see a lot of college really struggling is when college is, why are you going to college? Well, I didn't know what else I wanted to do. Right. They didn't say I wanted to go to college. They just said I couldn't come up with any anything better. Um, and I think that's, you know, so the people that are kind of going by college, but they don't really have a direction and they're not excited about the process, you know, maybe should be looking at a gap year or doing other things. Great words. Love yes. that. Right. Okay. Yeah. There's a growing industry out there where there's a lot of people that will help students, you know, so my focus is I tend to work with parents and help them with all the parent stuff, visits and paying and saving and, and that, you know, the stuff that parents do. And I generally don't help students that much. So if you're saying, well, can you help us with this essay? It's like, no, I really can't. <laughs> I mean, even if I wanted to, I couldn't help. You. It's just not my thing. Um, I, but there are people out there that will help students figure out what they want to be when they grow up and what schools are a good fit and figure out what their passions might be and how to convert a passion into a legitimate career and that type of thing. Right? right. I think there's a little danger in follow your passion. You know, my passion is to play video games in your basement. Huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, maybe not follow your passion entirely, <laughs> but maybe can you find a career in video games? You're still gonna have to work obviously, but is there a career in video games? And then is it technical? Is it sales? Is it you know, because if they, a student has some desire, I think that can make a big difference. And again, I'm not the expert that can help there, but I see a lot of that too, where it's like, well, you need help with test prep. I can't, I mean, it's not me that's going to be able to do that, but maybe we need to pull in an expert for test prep, or what do you want to be when you grow up or essay writing or testing or all the different things that, you know, there are people out there and we see it all the time in other areas, right? There's all kinds of batting coaches and pitching coaches. And if you, you know, if your kid says, I want to learn to play the piano, most parents say, darn, now I got to learn how to play the piano so I can teach my kid how to play the piano. I mean, you don't think that way yet. A lot of parents are saying, I got to figure out how to get my kid, up, you know, going here and try and figure out what they want to be when they grow up. It's like, well, if you're not the expert there, they're out there now again, but it's a you know new industry and there's good and there's bad. And, you know, it's a challenge. Right. I think it's great to have kids. Um, I don't know, just not have an expectation necessarily. I think they, a lot of them have no clue yeah. how many thousands of dollars and what kind of sacrifice it takes to send them to college, what it's for, what it's worth, all of those things. Um, 
So to get rid of some uh, entitlement, I guess, is to say, look, here's what it's going to cost. Here's what it's going to cost us. Like as far as time and life changes and all those things, is this what you want to do? And what are you willing to put on the table for it? Mm -hmm. Um, Right. I think that's super valuable for. It is. We did do it. We kind of did what you said. We hired someone to kind of walk us through what their strengths might be. So, you know, there's, there's good books out there, like now discover your strengths and things like that. And there's assessments you can take to see what maybe your aptitude is for. If, if you've got a kid, sometimes you have a kid who doesn't know what they want to do. Sometimes you have a kid who's really talented and could do lots of things Mm -hmm. that are all very different. And that's kind of a different problem in itself. And so, um, what that's what we did with our kids is sat down with them and said, okay, here's what you're good at. Here's, here's, um, what your strengths are. And here's the costs that are going to be involved to get you educated. And the less debt you have coming out, the more options you have to take any job you would love once you're done, because you know, freedom from debt means options. And, and we involved them to that degree. And that was helpful. That mean that, that helped them kind of narrow down where we looked and and uh, even the majors that they they wanted my daughter knew she wanted to stay at home with children when she had them so she chose a degree that had flexibility to work from home so graphic design she's like I love art I love interior design I love lots of other things but this degree will allow me so much flexibility and she's and she's using it and she has a child and she's doing all the things and she's like thank you thank you thank you for helping me navigate that Mm-hmm. And getting me out on the other side without debt, I've got the freedom to do exactly what I've always wanted to do. And that's so fun yeah. to watch them do that. So, yeah. Right. I have a, I have a different kind of question. Um, so in 2020, 2021, I had a one child in professional school, pharmacy school, and one child in finishing up undergrad. And as we all know, um, college was like everything else in the country went a whole nother direction um, with the pandemic and everything else happening. Um, I think my undergraduate child said, hey, this is college is not what you said it was going to be. <laughs> you right. know, it's not all the parties and social stuff that I expected necessarily. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, yeah, it all stopped. Right. It all stopped. But what I think a lot of parents found and kids, freshmen going into school at that time found was well, if I'm going to only be taking stuff online, then what is the point of going to a university seven hours away and paying room and board and doing all this stuff if, if that kind of a life doesn't exist anymore? So I think a lot of colleges had to reevaluate, well, if we can offer this online and we're saying it's just as good, then what's really the return on investment here? Do Absolutely. kids really need to go to college or is there more of a uh, value in like apprenticeships and things like that. Right. Well, I think there's a shift going on where you don't need to go to college. You need an education and employers are starting to say, well, we'll accept education. Doesn't have to be a four-year degree for a long time. Employers could say, show me the degree and we'll offer you the job. And it was, they didn't get in trouble for discrimination or anything else. So, and a lot of times they knew the degree wasn't going to help you do the job. Yeah. They just, right. You know, they just, it was easy for them to put a little bit of a barrier up so they didn't get quite so many applications. And it 
showed some drive and some skill and you know theoretically you can get out of high school these days and not know how to read so it was a, a simple thing that they could do well recently when they've had not many applications and lots of openings they've opened it up and said okay well we will consider you know the school of hard knocks instead of just a true degree and will that stay that way it's hard to know yeah. But for a long time, many people were saying, I just need the piece of paper. Mm. Like, I know how to do the job. And it's the next step up on my career, but they won't let me have it till I have the piece of paper. Yeah. And there's a bunch of people that really aren't looking for education anymore. They're looking for the piece of paper. And if they can write a check and not learn a thing, but they get the piece of paper, they're happy. And that's, you know, and that's just kind of a weird way to think about it, right? It is, that's changing a little bit. I do too. So I think higher education is going to get and it has a lot in the adult education too where adults are saying you know again a adult with kids or whatever it might be or having already have careers there's all kinds of choices on online and hybrid and on the weekends or in the evenings and or just traditional school right. um i have a friend who uh he didn't finish college but he became a commercial airline pilot for gosh 20 30 years and the university in our town offered um, like work comp credits for those sort of things. So he ended up going back to college and they said, well, in aerospace, aerodynamics, whatever, and they could give him credits for all of the things that he could say that he did at work. Well, I did this and that, mm. that. And so he ended up getting a degree. He had to take maybe three classes and he ended up walking at um, 60 years old. That's so cool. But they, that was makes total sense yeah, to me. Yeah, it does. Like it you're, does. you've already done the stuff that they're saying they're going to teach you. So why not give the guy credit for yeah. it? Give him the degree. Yeah. So I think they're seeing more of that too, which I think is cool for non-traditional students. Right. Exactly. And that's right. So you look at some of the, you know, if you go to school for elementary education, they obviously teach you a lot about how to be a teacher. And then they also Put you in a classroom at the end and you know as part of your education your student teaching and all that kind of stuff um and it's a very clear path but if you want to be a mri salesman or right a mid-level executive in some company well what degree do you need it's like well if you go look at those people they have all kinds of degrees mm -hmm. so it's obviously not the degree that got them there and or no degree at all for that matter mm -hmm. um so there's that kind of that catch 22 is if I could, if I knew everything that a, an elementary ed graduate knew, why do I need the degree? I mean, <laughs> yeah. to prove I know it, I guess. Right. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's, you know, so there's that, that constant dichotomy of, well, we want people to be knowledgeable and capable. We know we don't want our brain surgeon to not and know what he's doing. That would be good. That's true. <laughs> right. So there's some challenges around that, but there's always a little bit of barriers sometimes where, again, the only way to get a PhD is to work with somebody that has a PhD. Mm -hmm. Well, why is that? Well, that's just the way that's been set up. Could it change? I mean, it's been that way for a hundred some years. It'll probably change someday. When will it happen? Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe not by the time your junior is entering his college yeah. right. year. Exactly. Right. If you got the kids in high school, you're probably stuck with the system we have. Mm -hmm. you so have a two-year-old at home, it could be different. Mm -hmm. So just to just to kind of recap here, there there are I really do feel like COVID kind of 
created this fundamental shift in how we're viewing education. I think we're just starting to ask these questions that you, were, you all are just talking about, about mm -hmm. education. And earlier you said, you know, you don't know if that sweet little baby you brought home from the hospital is going to want to grow up and go to college. So when can parents kind of know, hey, I'm thinking this is in your future. When do you see parents kind of figuring that out? Typically middle school is, you know, when they start doing standardized testing in middle school and your kid is taking algebra and doing well, and it's like, oh, I got a math, you know, and they're starting to play computer games and they like, and they're taking your computer apart and, you know, et cetera. <laughs> it's like, oh, I think I've got a STEM, you know, kid here that's, you know, pretty capable and I can see them getting into something sciencey or they're, you know, they're doing a lot of artwork and they're really enjoying it. And you look at it and say, oh, that's better than I could do. Mm -hmm. You're saying, okay, maybe, maybe this is an art or the writing or whatever, right? I mean, so you kind of start seeing, oh, they've got some talents or some skills or some drive or whatever it is. I, I think that's when it starts to come to fruition where you say, okay, I think if they wanted to, again, we, it's still unknown, but at least you're starting to think about, well, I could see how they could benefit from it, you know, to go on to art school or go on to engineering school or go on to whatever, right? Yeah. Um, that's helpful. And that's, I think, later than I would have guessed. <laughs> You know, I, I guess we kind of always thought our kids were going to college. I mean, because that was 25 years ago. And that was kind of the model, right? As you mentioned. Right. Um, I right. don't know that we ever, we just said education makes you a better whatever. Whatever you do, being educated will make you a better that, a better wife, a better husband, a better employee somewhere, a better entrepreneur. But you're right. I think there's so many more options now. And that, and if you have this 529 or this, whatever other thing you said starts with Coverdell. Yes, yeah. Coverdell. Um, and your child says, no, I want to go to trade school or, or I want to go straight into the workforce. What can you do with that money? Right. Well, if it's trade school, you can spend it on trade school. So it okay. will cover any higher education where they're essentially wherever you can spend a student loan, you can spend this money. Okay. So okay. Uh, two-year degree, four-year degree, just going back to school, all the state schools and all that stuff is generally you can use it. Now, if they, you know, pick a different path, you can change it to other kids in the family, uh, whether it's your own children or nieces and nephews, you can use leftovers to pay off student loans. You can spend it for the 529. Anyway, you can spend it on private or tuition for grade school and high school as well. So there's some interesting strategies as far as being efficient. You know, there's ways we can, mm -hmm. Uh, leverage it and pay for the private high school on top of college um, and get even more savings. You know, so there's all those different avenues. And again, at about middle school, you're starting to say, well, it looks like all three are going, but most likely at least two out of three are going to go. I've only got 30,000 saved. I'm obviously going to need more than that if even one of them goes. So I'm pretty comfortable ramping it up now and, and doing a lot more. Um, but eventually you get to that point where, you know, I'm looking ahead, two kids are graduated, you know, we got two years left on the last kid. I have 50,000 in the college pile and, and we need 25,000 a year is my best guess. Oh, I guess we're done. Right. We don't, we should stop saving now because, you know, we look ahead our known expenses are, are covered. And that's kind of where the college process goes is you, you know, you roll in with a certain amount of money, you maybe you need to add more, 
or maybe you don't, but as, you know, it's a process, right? As your kids grow up and start picking colleges and you start getting some real numbers, now you have a better idea and you just a constant reevaluation. So it's like, you know, if you only have a hundred thousand and you've got three kids that you know are going to very expensive schools, you're like, okay, I guess that'll keep going. But eventually you say, well, we've got enough and we can slow down or stop or so. so on that cruise, we finally so, wanted to take. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. How much time does it take? You know, that's the other piece of the puzzle. I think that a lot of families don't understand is you pay for college with time, money, and stress. Money <laughs> is, you know, quantifiable, but time is, there's always more you can do. How much time and effort do you put into it? And then the stress around, well, the family dynamic, sometimes having somebody outside, you know, again, many students get a little challenging in their teenage years. And if it's somebody else other than mom says something, then it's real. But if mom says it, well, you know, it can't be right because mom said it. Um, so getting around that, you know, so I see a lot of advantages there as well, where, you know, sometimes somebody from the outside, whether it's a paid professional, or just an aunt or uncle or yeah. family friend that gets involved a little bit to calm the waters a little bit. Cause I think there's a lot of family stress and dynamics in some situations. Yeah. I mean, Absolutely. it's just, a, it's just stressful in a season of life change. Yeah. There's a grief that the season's ending and a new one's beginning and for the child as well as the moms yeah. and dads. Um, Absolutely. Anything to diffuse that a little bit would be <laughs> helpful. Thank you. Yes, please. <laughs> right. This has been really helpful. There's so many great tips in yeah. here and yeah. uh, we're going to put a lot of this on our website at the end, but to end with, what would you, and you've given us some great resources too, but um, tell us about your website and your podcast and where people can go. Right. To check out more. So Taming the High Cost of College is the podcast. My website is tamingthehighcostofcollege.com. It's all there. We've got scholarship guide for busy parents, uh, cost of colleges, an EFC calculator to help you figure out financial aid. You can sign up for a newsletter where we send things out. And then, of course, wherever you, you, know, you get your podcast, my podcast should be available. Um, got about 150 episodes out there now and uh, you know, continuing. So we talked to the, you know, a lot of the experts that we've been talking about, right? The, how do you choose a major if you're undecided? There's a couple experts on that. What's a gap year? How do you do gap year? How you know test prep? All the different things. Yeah. You know what can business owners do to help pay for college? All kinds of different experts and interviews and that stuff on the podcast. Where, again, for many families, it's it's going to be a learning curve. So. Oh, definitely. I you know I spend a lot of time learning when I'm driving. I know others you know while they're exercising or doing the dishes or whatever, but starting to learn about college, you know should start freshman, sophomore year of high school. Don't wait till junior. You know, again, in the past, it was late junior year. You kind of jump into it. Yeah. Yeah. That's way too late. It is. This day and age. <laughs> you really need to. He's right, ladies. <laughs> right? Listen, listen to least, him. Right? And again, your student may not be ready. You know, your freshman doesn't necessarily want to go visit colleges, but that doesn't mean as a parent, you can't start learning some of those stuff that you're responsible for. Right. Of right. How to pay for it. You know, what, what will a local state college cost? What does the local state offer for benefits for our family like us? Yeah. Um, and it's not and good then, as parents to stick your head in the sand and be the little ostrich because you just don't want to see it. It's coming. It's sad. Yeah. yeah. No. Get past the sad yeah. and do what he's saying. Yes. <laughs> Investigate. Go ahead and just grown up. Yeah. And do it. Exactly. I, 
you know, families that do that, the, the youngest kids have such an advantage compared to the oldest kids because oh, yeah. by, you know, by default, you've learned enough that you can be more helpful by the time you get to the end. But experimenting on the oldest is not recommended, in my opinion, <laughs> which is what we do all the time. Right? Ew, I'm sorry, yes. oldest yes. child. Yes. I know. You're the I know. Listen, I turned out okay. So, <laughs> it's all right. Yeah. It's all right. So, so that's great. One-stop shop for them, for Brad's website. Yeah. And we're going to definitely have that on here. I hope you go check that out. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. And let's don't forget our disclosures. The information provided to you today is for educational purposes only. It is not intended to be specific recommendations or advice. Please consult with a qualified professional before acting on any of this material. Investing involves risk. Depending on the types of investments, there may be varying degrees of risk. Investors should be prepared to bear loss, including loss of principal, totally. Investors should carefully consider investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This information and other important information are contained in the fund prospectuses, summary prospectuses, and 529 product program description. These documents can be obtained from a financial professional or directly from the plan's website. Please read them carefully before investing. Depending on your state of residence, there may be an in-state plan that offers tax and other benefits which may include financial aid, scholarship funds, and protection from creditors. And before investing in any state's 529 plan, investors should consult a tax professional. If withdrawals from 529 plans are used for purposes other than qualified education, the withdrawal could be subject to a 10% federal tax penalty, state penalties, federal income tax, and state income tax. Brad Baldridge is a registered representative with Cambridge Investment Research, Inc. Securities are offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a broker-dealer, member FINRA, and SIPC. Brad Baldridge is also an investment advisor representative with Cambridge Investment Research Advisors, Inc., a registered investment advisor. Baldridge Wealth Management and Baldridge College Solutions are affiliated. Cambridge and the Baldridge Companies are not affiliated. His registered branch location is 10-521 West Layton Avenue, Suite 200, Greenfield, Wisconsin, Five three two two eight. So um, you can check that out on our website at justaskyourmom.com. And you can follow us on Facebook at Just Ask Your Mom and on Instagram at Just Ask Your Mom Podcast. We would love for you to rate the podcast, leave a review if you're listening, and better yet, subscribe so you'll get each new Monday episode. If you have questions or topic suggestions, we always look at those. Just Ask Your Mom Podcast at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time on Just, Just Ask Your Mom. Your Mom.